Well, this morning, I'd like to speak with you about what the Bible says about baptism. As you know, we're having a baptism service coming up next Sunday night, and uh, normally uh, that is a highlight of our church year when we have uh, our baptism services. And typically, I'm able to do a little baptism class during equipping hour, and so I don't have to uh, necessarily do this, but because I haven't been able to do that because of the other class that I'm teaching, I thought, well, you know, this is a good time for us to be reminded of what the Bible has to say about baptism as a church body. And I'm praying that maybe there's some in here that need to get flushed out this morning who maybe have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and yet have yet to follow Him in baptism. And so I want to encourage you to listen carefully to what God has to say in His Word about the important ordinance of baptism and how that applies to your life. And really, every one of us, when this is all over, can walk out of here knowing... Yes, we've obeyed and we've been baptized, or no, we've yet to be baptized and we need to get baptized. And so it's going to be a real simple application. Uh, Either yes, we've obeyed and done what the Bible says, or no, we have not and we need to. And so, um, simple application. I'm telling you ahead of time what what your decision is going to have to be when this is all over. As we start, though, I'd like to read you uh, a little something I've got uh, in, in an email recently. Uh, a little joke I thought was pretty humorous made me think of baptism it says a man was stumbling through the woods totally drunk when he came upon a preacher baptizing people in the river he proceeded to walk into the water and bumped into the preacher the preacher turned around and though he was almost overcome by the smell of alcohol asked the drunk are you ready to find Jesus the drunk answered yes I am So the preacher grabbed the drunk and dunked him in the water. Then he pulled him up and asked him, Brother, have you found Jesus? The drunk replied, No, I haven't found Jesus. The preacher, shocked at the answer, dunked him into the water again for a little longer this time. Then again he pulled him out and asked, Have you found Jesus, my brother? And the drunk again answered, No, I haven't found Jesus. By this time the preacher was at his wit's end, so he submerged the drunk once more and held him down for about 30 seconds until he began kicking with his arms and his legs, whereupon he pulled him back out. And the preacher again asked the drunk, For the love of God, have you found Jesus? And the drunk wiped his eyes and caught his breath and finally said to the preacher, Are you sure this is where he fell in? (laughs) Needless to say, that drunk was confused about baptism. He's not the only one, however, because I think there's many Christians today who are confused about baptism. And uh, baptism is an issue that has caused a lot of confusion throughout the history of the church. And as a non-denominational, independent, Bible-teaching church, what we teach about baptism here at Lakeside is not based on the teaching or tradition of any particular denomination. It's not based on any church tradition or anything else. It's based solely on what the Bible teaches. The reason why I say that is because a lot of what's believed and practiced today in the area of baptism is based on ecclesiastical tradition, kind of the way the church has always done it, or denominational background, or a particular theological system. And I would just say if these traditions or or views or 
backgrounds or systems are in line with what the Bible teaches, then by all means we should believe them and we should practice them. But if they're inconsistent with what the Bible teaches, then we must reject them. And my desire is that all of us would have an understanding of baptism that's not merely traditional, it's not merely denominational, but one that's biblical. And so what I'd like to do is this morning is to answer five questions about baptism. So if you're taking notes, this will be an easy way to follow along with me. But I just want to answer five basic questions about baptism. The first question is, what is baptism? What is baptism? Now, I have to answer that question because the Bible talks about several kinds of baptism. Uh, the Bible talks about spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen talks about how when we uh, receive Jesus Christ, we also receive the Holy Spirit, the moment of our salvation. That's spirit baptism. The Bible also talks about fire baptism. That's when an unbeliever is judged by God. We see that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. John the Baptist warned uh, the people about the fire baptism, the baptism of fire that Jesus would bring to those that rejected him. And then, of course, the Bible talks about water baptism. And this is when a believer is submerged in water as an outward demonstration of his inward decision to follow Christ. You say, well, what is going on there? What, what is baptism? What is that submersion, that, that uh, immersion symbolizing? Well, number one, it's identification. Write that down. It's identification. It's identification with two things. Number one, it's identification with Christ. Uh, baptism is a, is a public confession of a person's commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's why the tradition of our church is when we do baptisms, we always make sure the person uh, writes out their testimony and then shares their testimony before they get baptized. Because that's really what it is. It's just a public confession of their commitment to Jesus Christ. So it seems very normal, very natural for them to tell us how they came to know Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, He summoned the multitude with his disciples and said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That was Christ's call to salvation. And then he goes on to say, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so once we've come to Christ, Jesus was saying that we shouldn't be ashamed to identify with Christ, to associate with Christ, and to say, I'm a Christian. And if we are ashamed to stand up for Christ in an adulterous, sinful generation, then he says, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I return. In other words, I'm going to treat you the same way you treated me. And so baptism is first and foremost identification with Christ, but secondly, it's identification with other Christians. When a person is baptized, what they're doing is they're taking their stand with other Christians, and they're identifying themselves with the church or with the body of Christ. And so that's important to, to, to understand when, when you get up and be baptized, you're saying, hey, I'm one of you. I'm one of you and, I'm, and I want to be associated with you and I want to identify with you. And when you get baptized in a particular church, you're saying, I want to be identified with this particular local body. I want to join arms with you. I want to link up with you. And that's a serious thing because guess what? Now you're linked up with us and as we go, you go, and as you go, we go. 
In other words, don't get up and get baptized and say, hey, I want to get baptized in this church and I want to identify with Christ. I want to identify with you and then go out and live like the devil. Because guess what? How's that going to reflect on Christ? And how's that going to reflect on Lakeside Bible Church, right? Because now once you stand up and say, yes, I'm a Christian and I, and I want to be held accountable and encouraged by this body. What you do is, is now your reputation is inseparably linked with our reputation. And our reputation is inseparably linked with your reputation. Vice versa. It's a serious thing to identify with Christ and with other Christians. But secondly, baptism is also an illustration. Not just identification, it's an illustration. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6 with me for a moment. Romans chapter 6. And Paul talks about baptism here in verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? That's a dry verse, by the way. That's what one of our seminary professors said. This is a dry verse. This is not talking about water baptism. This is talking about the spirit baptism here. When he talks about how we've been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Colossians 2.12 says something very similar. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. He says that we have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up in him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, that's talking about spiritually, not actually in the, in the, in the, in the baptism itself. It's talking about spiritually. That as Christians, that we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so when he died, we died. And when he was buried, we were buried. And when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. And baptism, water baptism, is a physical demonstration or illustration of that spiritual reality. That, that we died to our old way of life and we, we, we raised up to walk in newness of life. And that's a picture when if someone's baptized, we, 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 what do we do? We dunk them under the water. And when they go backwards, it's as if they're dying and are being buried with Christ. And they're being raised to newness of life. Now, is that actually happening at the moment they're getting baptized? No way. That, that happened at the moment they got saved. All baptism is, is an illustration, a picture, a demonstration. Baptism does not secure our salvation. It merely symbolizes our salvation. It's a symbol of our salvation. It's like this wedding ring. Okay, if I took my wedding ring off and invited one of these young unmarried guys to come up and put it on, would that make them married? No, because putting a wedding ring on your finger doesn't make you married. It just symbolizes that you what? That you were married. You are married. You, you had a ceremony and you went through this thing and you got married. So in the same way, getting baptized doesn't make you a believer but it shows other people that you are a believer. Now, you know as well as I do that there's some churches that teach that a person must be baptized in order to be saved. Anybody been to a church like that? Know of friends that are in churches like that? Right? That you must be baptized in order to be saved. It's what theologians call baptismal regeneration. 
And I'll just say flat out, it's heresy. It's heresy. It's, 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 it goes against Scripture. Now, I had always, of course, studied this and read about it and, and, and about these churches and these people that believe you have to actually be baptized in order to be saved. And, and, and yet, until I actually witnessed it myself, uh, it, it, I was a believer, if you will. And, and this, is, this is what happened. My wife and I were in Ventura, California. We were on the beach, and we were walking down the beach, having a little romantic stroll around sunset. And, and then we see this, you know, and there's nobody on the beach, just she and I. And uh, all of a sudden, this mass of people come out of the parking lot across the beach towards the water. And I'm thinking, this is a baptism. And I said, honey, this is a baptism. I want to go find out who this is. So I walked up to one of the guys walking in the crowd, and I said, hey, uh, are you guys, you know, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to get baptized. I said, really, what church are you from? And he said, we're from the L.A. Church of Christ. Well, if you know anything about the L.A. Church of Christ, it's a very kind of cultic, um, you know, extreme version of the Church of Christ. And I had known, because I studied them, that they believe in baptism regeneration. So at that moment, the, the romantic moment was blown, because I said, honey, do you mind if I watch this and just see what they do? And she's like, Okay, great. I'll go sit in the car, you know? So she did. She went and sat in the car, and I went down here because I was, I was really intrigued by this whole thing. And so I just kind of got myself in the crowd, and I was just kind of standing in the crowd watching this thing go on. And it was a very dynamic experience. These guys were truly excited. A lot of young people, college students, and, and they were all standing with the person. The people who were getting baptized were standing with the person that had led them to Christ. It was really cool. And uh, so the pastor got up, and he opened his Bible. And he read some verses about baptism and, and how it's linked to salvation. And, and, and this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, these people are about to become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going, whoa. So in other words, if lightning struck right now and they died, they're going to hell. Because they weren't brothers and sisters in Christ yet. And then he said some other things. And then as he was sending them off into the Pacific Ocean... Uh, to, to get baptized, he said this. He kind of called out. Now remember, when you come out of the water, your sins will be left in the Pacific Ocean. And I was like, first thing, I'm not going swimming again in the Pacific Ocean because I don't want to leave. You know? But think about it. What are they saying? That, that, that they were actually, that baptism was cleansing them from their sin. And, and so you're not a Christian until you get baptized and your sins are washed away by the water. Well, that's just one particular group along with others. They've, they've deduced that, that from certain passages of Scripture that a person is saved by being baptized. And they base their salvation on when they got baptized. You ever ask them in that? Hey, are you saved? Are you born again? They say, yes, I got baptized. You ever talk to somebody like that? And so they're basing their salvation. They're trusting for, for their salvation in the fact that they were baptized. Um, I don't care when you got baptized. I want to know when you repented and when you trusted Christ. The baptism thing, that's great, but that's not what you should be trusting in for your salvation. Well, they assume that if a person dies without being baptized, where are they going? I mean, take it to its logical conclusion. They're going to hell. If you need to be baptized in order to be saved, you say, well, where do they come up with that? Well, there's some verses uh, that at first glance you could say, yeah, well, it kind of sounds like it. Acts 2.38 Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 22.16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 1 Peter 3.21 talks about how baptism now saves you. Um, and even in 1 Corinthians 15.29, there's a phrase in there talking about being baptized for the dead. 
which the Mormons have grabbed a hold of and other groups have grabbed a hold of, and, and they actually can get baptized for a dead person, for their salvation. I was just talking to someone this week, and they were telling me how that they had a friend uh, that went to camp, and I think it was a, one of these denominational camps that they believe this, and the, the kids got baptized so many times in the swimming pool, they came back with an earache because they were trying to be baptized for all these dead people in their life. They want to make sure they made it to heaven. Well, what should we think about those who interpret these verses as meaning a person must be baptized to be saved? Well, I think they violate one of the most basic principles of biblical interpretation, and that's the analogy of Scripture, or, or simply put, cross-referencing, right? And, and this, is the, this is the point. The Bible never contradicts itself. Agreed? The Bible never contradicts itself. And so any interpretation of a specific passage that contradicts the general teaching of the rest of Scripture is a wrong interpretation. Amen? So even if it appears that a certain verse means something or that a person is saved by being baptized, it must mean something else. How do we know that? Because the overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that a person is saved, how? By grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of what? Works. And fill in works. What? Getting confirmed. You know, being baptized. You know, giving money, you know, being nice, helping the old lady cross the street. You know, you, you put, put it in there. And so I think the greatest proof that baptism does not save a person is all the verses in the Bible that make it undeniably crystal clear that a person is saved through faith alone in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that you and I could do to, to earn our, our salvation. Add to this fact the story of the thief and the cross. Right? That guy get baptized? And where was he that day? In the presence of the Lord, right? And all the other people in the New Testament that Jesus said were forgiven of their sins and were saved before they were baptized, right? How many times did Jesus say that to a person? He healed them or he forgave them for their sin and he said, you've been forgiven, you're saved, and he sent them off. Did he ever, get, did he ever baptize them? No, but he said you're saved before they were baptized. So I make that point because it's very important that we understand that baptism doesn't save a person. It simply symbolizes outwardly what has already taken place inwardly. And this is the way I like to say it. It's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. That's what baptism is. It's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. That's baptism. Second question, why should we be baptized? Why should we be baptized? Well, I think there's two basic reasons why we should be baptized. Number one, it's commanded by Christ. It's commanded by Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus commissioned his disciples and said, go out there and help people come to know the gospel, to repent of their sins, to trust me as their personal Lord and Savior, and then baptize them. Now, to the disciples, this made a lot of sense because they were used to this baptism thing. Because the Jews, uh, back in the, in the Old Testament, understood baptism. 
not for themselves, but for Gentiles. Anybody who wanted to become a Jew, a Gentile who wanted to become a proselyte to Judaism, they needed to be circumcised and they needed to be immersed, baptism, and they needed to present a sacrifice. John the Baptist came along and told the Jews that they needed to repent, to repair their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. And that was a, a hard pill to swallow for those Jews because they're like, whoa, the only time they'd seen baptism is, is a proselyte, a pagan that wanted to become a Jew. And now here's John the Baptist saying, you need to get baptized. Like, what are you talking about? We're Jews. But he said, to, to demonstrate your repentant heart and, and you're ready for the coming of the Messiah, you need to be baptized. Of course, Jesus came and said to John, baptize me. And John said, no way. And what did, what did Jesus say? This must happen in order that Scripture would be fulfilled, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was baptized, not because he was sinful or needed to be baptized. He wanted to identify with sinful humanity. And it was a prefiguring of his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus himself baptized. John 3 and 4 talk about that. And as I just mentioned in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize. And so really, baptism is what it is. It's an ordinance of the church. And you say, what's an ordinance? An ordinance is something that God has ordained and established and commanded that he wants the church to practice. What are the two ordinances of the church? Baptism and communion, Lord's Supper. And so it's something that we should do on a regular basis. So the first reason why we should get baptized, it was commanded by Christ. That should be enough, right? Let's close in prayer and go home. Or let's have a baptism, right? But there's a second reason, I think, that shows that the disciples obeyed Christ's command and that it was practiced by the early church. It was practiced by the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, these are the the crowds after Pentecost, uh, were gathered there and and he was preaching this message about how they had killed the Messiah. And they they were shocked and they were pierced to the heart and they said, well, what shall we do? And Peter said, well, you need to repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God shall call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them and saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. <clears throat> so then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. That was a great evangelistic moment in the life of the church. 3,000 saved, 3,000 baptized, and 3,000 continuing in the faith. That's a lot different from today's evangelistic figures, right? We had 3,000 people saved, and we had 100 people baptized, and 20 people are still in the church today, right? That's unfortunately the way it is. So immediately after these people repented, they were baptized. Well, the church is straight away, I think, from its New Testament origins. Because in the minds of the first century Christians, salvation and baptism were inseparable. And that's why you read some of these verses and you go, man, it sounds like you have to be saved in order to be, or baptized in order to be saved. But they they were really interchangeable words. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Ephesians 4, 5. And according to the book of Acts, baptism was the first act of obedience of a new believer. It was the first thing they did. When someone got saved, they were immediately baptized. You see that over and over again in the book of Acts. They got saved and they got baptized. They got saved, they got baptized. They got saved, they got baptized. And the fact that a person was willing to get baptized was a way that others knew that that person was really saved. You say, why was that? 
because those who were baptized as Christians were alienated, they were persecuted, and some of them even were killed. So no half-hearted convert to Christ would ever think about getting baptized if he wasn't serious, because he was putting his life on the line. Only those who were serious about their commitment to Christ were willing to pay the price to be associated with Christ and his followers. Now that's why I believe that anyone who professes faith in Christ but doesn't want to get baptized should question the genuineness of their commitment to Christ. Especially in a day and age where there is no danger, if you will, of getting baptized, at least in our country. F.F. Bruce, the great commentator, said this, quote, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. Let me say that again. The idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. It's not a personal choice, but a divine command. And so, beloved, I tell you this morning that baptism is a non-optional act of obedience for every Christian. It's a non-optional act of obedience for every Christian. Number three, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? It's a good question. Because different churches practice different things in regards to who they baptize. Uh, And what I'm getting at here is particularly infant baptism. There's plenty of denominations and churches that will baptize babies. I grew up in one of them, a Lutheran church. And I remember it was a pretty regular occurrence on a Sunday morning after church. They would invite the church to stay after, and they had the little, the little basin up front, and the, the, the family would bring the little baby up, and the pastor would kind of put his hand in the water and put it on, his, on the baby's head three times, and, and that was my experience. The Catholic church, those of you from a Catholic background, know that, uh, that that's part of uh, one of the sacraments, right, of, of getting baptized. And when you're baptized as a baby in the Catholic church, the thinking is that you're cleansed from your original sin. And that it confers saving grace upon you as an infant, which we know is unbiblical. Um, churches that we're more like-minded with, like a Reformed church, a Presbyterian church, um, they baptize babies, but for different reasons. They baptize babies to make them a little member of the covenant family. Uh, kind of get them in the door. It's kind of like circumcision was in the Old Testament. It was the outward mark that, that they were a Jew. Well, in the New Testament, they kind of carry that over, that imagery, and they say that baptism is the sign of the new covenant, and so they baptize a baby. Their baby, you know, Christians baptize their babies. Kind of that's Christian circumcision, if you will. Well, the problem I have with that is that nowhere in Scripture is an infant baptized. If you can show it, show it to me. I'll eat it. Okay, because <laughs> it's not there. Infant baptism is never commanded, illustrated, or recorded. It is just not there in the pages of Scripture. You say, well, where did it come from then? Well, it was introduced, like a lot of other things in the church, as a tradition, somewhere around the 3rd century. And so you say, well, why didn't Martin Luther get rid of it like he did everything else? Well, that's an interesting lesson in church history because during the Reformation, Martin Luther came along and he exposed many of the things that had been added to the Word of God. And then even though he zealously confronted the relics and, the, and the, tr- the traditions and the indulgence system of the Catholic Church, he himself continued to practice infant baptism, which for me personally is unfathomable how a guy who was credited with restoring the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith alone could continue to practice infant baptism. But it shows how strong that tradition was in the church and still is today. It took another group of people called the Anabaptists who came along in the Middle Ages who were devoted to the study of Scriptures. And as they studied the Scripture, they rediscovered the New Testament pattern 
which was a person heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and then they got baptized. And so they saw this pattern over and over again, hearing, believing, and baptizing. And as they saw this, they concluded that their infant baptism, they'd all been baptized as an infant because everyone was baptized as an infant back then, if you were in the church. And they concluded that their baptism as a child meant nothing in God's eyes. It was pointless. It was useless. Now you tell me how that went over in the church in that day. Well, that was like throwing a grenade into the church. And so these people got rebaptized. That's where they baptized again. Anabaptist, that's where they came up with their name. And then what they were doing, they were, they, were, they were seeking to finish the part of the Reformation that Luther had left undone. And they were enemies of not just the Catholics, but also the Protestants. And they were hated by both and even were tracked down and killed for teaching that only believers should be baptized. And that's what we mean when we say that the Bible teaches believers' baptism. That's kind of what, if you say, well, what does your, teach, your church teach about baptism? Well, we believe in believers' baptism. In other words, all believers should be baptized, and only believers should be baptized. And so the key is a baby, can a baby believe? No. At last time I checked, right? They can't place their faith in Christ as a baby. It's an infant. And so therefore, they shouldn't get baptized. Well, let me go a little further here as far as just wisdom uh, in baptizing people. Uh, I think it's up to the elders of a church to determine how old a person should be in order to be baptized. Obviously, the, the, the determining factor is whether or not the person's saved, right? Have they committed their lives to Christ? Um, but my experience has been, unfortunately, as a youth pastor, uh, I've rebaptized way too many people. And basically what happened is, is, is a lot of times children will make a profession of faith in Christ and uh, they'll grow up and then next thing you know they go, to, they go to summer camp or winter camp and they realize, you know what, I'm not living for Christ and I'm not sure if I even knew what it meant to be a Christian, but now I do and I'm going to repent and I'm going to follow Christ. And their life changes. And then they realize, you know what, and I got baptized when I was five or six or seven. And I'm not saying that's invalid, okay, if you've trusted Christ and you got baptized. But a lot of these kids were saying, you know what, I need to get rebaptized. And so what we've chosen to do as a church, just out of wisdom, is wait for a young person to reach adulthood, maybe 12, 13 years of age, junior high, uh, before they get baptized. Why? Well, number one, because they have an opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of their salvation. They've had time to, to show so their moms and dads can see it, their youth pastor, their other people in the church can see, yeah, this person demonstrates the fruit of salvation. And I think secondly, they've reached a point where they can, they're able to really articulate a clear testimony of salvation. So those that listen to that testimony at the baptism service can be blessed and encouraged by the, their understanding of the gospel. Again, that's a preference issue. And that's just kind of where we're, we've been at as a church uh, in our deciding of that. Okay, number four. How should we be baptized? How should we be baptized? This is an interesting part of this discussion because there's basically three modes of baptism, ways to be baptized. There's sprinkling, there's pouring, and then there's dunking. Now, I pulled an article out of the Houston Chronicle a while back, and they showed this... uh, a Pentecostal church in New York City that does a mass baptism every year with a fire hose. And it was amazing. I mean, they showed a picture, all these people dressed in white out in the middle of the street in Harlem. They, they block off the street and they hook up to a fire hydrant and they get permission. And for 15 minutes, they spray the fire hose like this. 
and people are running around jumping and in, in the thing, and they're getting baptized. Uh, sadly, one of them quoted, quoted saying, it's great because all your evil gets washed away in this, in this deal. But, you know, so there's different modes. So there's a fire hose mode, I guess, of, of baptism. The question is, what is, is there a, a right mode? Is there, is there a mode that fits most closely with Scripture? Well, I say, yes, there is, and that's immersion. Immersion is the only form of baptism that's taught in the Bible. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you can look at the grammatical evidence. In other words, how you look at the words that are used to describe baptism. The Greek word itself for baptism is what? You may know? Baptizo. See, you know Greek. You didn't know it. Baptizo, which means to dip or immerse completely, to totally submerge or to drown. Sometimes that use baptizo is used to drown. If you get baptized here at Lakeside, I'll try not to drown you, okay? But this word was used to describe the process of dipping a piece of cloth in dye. So you totally dip that thing in there and it comes out a different color. Now, it's easy to miss that literal meaning of the word baptizo because most English translations simply transliterate the Greek word rather than translate it. In other words, you don't go, you, know, when you, you don't ever hear immersion or that word there. It's not translated. Or dip, you know, and John the Baptist dipped Jesus in the Jordan River. It doesn't say that. He baptized him. Well, you can do this if you want, but you can go through every time it says baptism, and it's talking about water baptism, clearly water baptism. You can insert the word immersion in there, and every time it'll fit perfectly. Um, Calvin, John Calvin said the word baptized means immersion. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the early church. So you look at the grammatical evidence. You can also look at the practical evidence. Look at the occasions where people were baptized. And, and the wording surrounding baptisms is very clear. At Christ's baptism, Mark 1.10, it says that he came up out of the water. Matthew 3.16, he came up from the river. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says he went down into and came up out of the water. How about John the Baptist? Matthew 3, 6 says that John baptized in the Jordan River. And I would just say this, you don't need a river if you're just going to pour some water over people's heads. John didn't walk around with a bucket, you know, doing this to people. There was a reason why he baptized in the river. Uh, John three twenty three says this, John was baptizing in Anion near Salim because there was much water there. So you need a lot of water if you're going to be immersing people, right? Now, that's just from a practical standpoint. Look, how about a theological understanding here for a second? Baptism by immersion most fully illustrates a person's salvation. Remember we said, what is, what is baptism? It's an illustration. That they're what? They're, they die and they're buried with Christ and they're raised in newness of life. Death, burial, and resurrection. So the sprinkling thing and the pouring thing doesn't cut it, does it? As an illustration. But immersion does. Last question. Question five. What are the benefits of baptism? If baptism doesn't save us, then so what? (laughs) Why worry about it? It's not that big of a deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because it's commanded by Christ. And there are some awesome benefits that we receive as believers when we're baptized. Like what? Well, number one, we experience the blessings of obedience. What does God's word say? If you obey me, I'll bless you. You disobey me, I'll curse you, right? So we receive the blessings of, of obeying the word and obeying God. 
Number two, we're strengthened in our faith. It's, it's a really invigorating, exciting opportunity when you get to stand up for Christ and to be identified with a body of believers. It's invigorating. It strengthens your faith. It makes you more committed. Want to be more faithful. Number three, you're also made more accountable. You know, you, you can't just kind of sit there now in the, in the back row of the church and say, well, I'm going to just kind of keep it like this. Nobody really knows me. I'm a Christian now, but I'm just going to stay back here. Well, as soon as you get up in front of the whole church and say, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. I want to tell you how I became a Christian. And this is my commitment. This is how I want to live now. And I'm asking you to hold me accountable. That's in essence what you do when you get baptized. You're saying, I want you guys to hold me accountable to live out my faith in Christ along with you. That's good. That's a blessing. That's a benefit. Is greater accountability. And then finally, number four, I think this is maybe the greatest benefit of getting baptized is you get to share the gospel. You get to share the gospel. You get to, you get to preach. You get to stand up there and say, listen, I, I love Jesus Christ. Let me share the gospel with you. This is what I came to understand in my life. And then you say, now check out this cool illustration. Right? So you get to share the gospel and you get to illustrate it with your own life. C.H. Spurgeon said this, nothing is more plainly taught in the New Testament than that it is the duty of every believer in Christ to be baptized. And yet as we look over the Christian landscape, there's a lot of Christians who have never been baptized. You say, well, that crossed me up. I've been baptized. But have you been baptized in the way the New Testament says you should be baptized? And what I'm talking about, those who have been baptized as infants, or those who have been baptized before they were truly saved, or those who may have been trusting in their baptism for their salvation and realized, I've got to repent of my baptism. And get rebaptized and realize, I'm not doing this to get saved. I'm doing this simply as an illustration, an outward demonstration. If you have not been immersed since you made a conscious commitment to follow Christ, then you need to get baptized because if you did it before, all you did was get wet. According to scripture. And if you've not yet been baptized as a believer, you fit into one of the following five categories. Let's see how you do. First category. You could just be ignorant. In other words, you've just never been taught what the Bible says about baptism. And I would just say this message has eliminated that option. Okay? Now you're no longer ignorant. You're accountable. Secondly, you could be arrogant. In other words, you've gone so long without being baptized that you're embarrassed to get baptized because you have to admit publicly that you have been not doing it. And it's a very humbling experience that you've been disobedient for all these years. And so you just don't want to do it. And it's amazing to me how Christians would rather be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ than before the church. I'd take my licks with the church, I don't know about you, than before the judgment seat of Christ. It could be that you're indifferent. That it's just like, hey, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. It's not a major issue in my life. It doesn't involve my salvation, so it's not a priority. And it's not that big of a deal, so you never get around to it. So you're just indifferent. It could be that you're defiant. That you're unwilling to give up certain sins that you're holding on to. And so to avoid being a, a hypocrite, you simply refuse to be baptized. Because you know if you, get, you, you come to baptism, that's it. You've got to make a break with some things in your life. 
Or the last category, you might just be plain unregenerate. You're sitting here and you feel absolutely zero conviction or compulsion whatsoever to get baptized. Why? Because you don't have the Spirit of God in you. And you're content just to hang around the church and have everyone think you're a Christian even though you've never been truly saved. And so, before you forget about getting baptized, you need to get saved. And then we'll talk about baptism. There's one more category, though. For those of you that are sitting there, oh, great. I'm in, I don't want to be in one of those categories. Give me another one, Ken, please. There's a category called obedient. Obedient. When you realize that the Bible says that you need to be baptized, and so you humbly and gladly and willingly choose to obey God's word. God said it, and I'm going to do it. And guess what? We got a baptism service next Sunday night. And there's a sign up sheet out there in the hallway. And so don't just be merely a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And you go ahead and sign up on that sheet out there. We'll contact you this week. We'll get you ready. We'll get you prepped. And then we'll come together next Sunday night and have a glorious time as we watch one another, one of our, some of our own, identify with Christ publicly for the first time and identify with us. And I just want to say this. You, you may have been baptized. You're saying, listen, my schedule is too busy. We've got to cut out some things. That is not one of the things you need to cut out next Sunday. A baptism of service is, 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 is vital to the life of the church. It's like a wedding. It's like a funeral. You know, Someone you know is getting baptized. I mean, you want to be there. Even if you don't know him, you want to be there. Because that's your brother, that's your sister in Christ. And you want to support them, you want to encourage them as they step out in faith and obedience by getting baptized. I mean, it's a big deal for people. They're baptized. You remember your baptism, man, you were sweating bullets, weren't you? That's a big deal. And so we need to be there to encourage. And I want to, I want to encourage all of you just to come out and mass for this thing. We won't bring the fire hose. We're going to do it at the swimming pool over at Haven's Landing. But uh, we really just want to honor the Lord in, in this ordinance that he's commanded us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark about any issue, but your word is so crystal clear as we do our homework and work hard to be a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, who accurately uh, divides your word and interprets your word, that we can come to a clear understanding of most everything. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this great ordinance of baptism that you designed as a, as a way, kind of a public entry point into the church, into the body of Christ. And I just pray that uh, you would, your spirit would work in the heart of everyone here, Lord, who has not yet been baptized in a way that the Bible says that we should get baptized. And that you would lay it on their heart to go ahead and sign up today and that next Sunday night we just have a glorious time together rejoicing in your amazing grace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.